0: If you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, we're starting a new sermon series, it'll just be two weeks because we've got some important things to talk about three weeks from now. uh, Luke chapter 9 and verse 57, Luke chapter 9 and verse 57. This is a familiar passage, many of you will have heard it before, Um, Luke chapter 9 verse 57, as they were walking along the road a man said to him, the hymn is Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Verse 58, Jesus replied, foxes have dens, birds have nests, they all have homes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me, but he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Can we engage in just a little mass confession, so to speak? Uh, I don't know if this verse or verses like it, but have you ever read a passage of scripture, particularly a passage of scripture where Jesus was challenging his hearers and you felt like, that, that is a little, that's a little intense, The guy can't even go back and say goodbye to his family. I will follow you, Jesus. I'm in. Uh, Just real quick, if I could run home and wave bye to the folks, tell them I'm not going to see them, I'm I'm done. Nope. If you're not in, you're not in. Uh, Well, uh, can I go bury my dad? Nope. let the dead bury their own dead and it just seems a little like a little extreme I I read passages like this and I'm like Jesus or like I it almost seems like he's discouraging people from following him which he probably is to some degree because of the expectations of following Jesus but but it also seems harsh I mean you can't bury your own father you can't say goodbye to your own family I mean what's going on there like why why would he do that Now, Jesus never uses the word in this passage that we just read, but he's clearly talking about an idea that we should be familiar with. And and the reason we know he's talking about this idea is because he uses a verb that's associated with the idea. And the idea is he's talking about discipleship. And we'll talk about that just a little bit more briefly to try to explain what that is. But he's using the verb that gets used in the concept of discipleship. The verb is following. And so three times in this passage, there's three, the three different little scenarios, and three times in this passage he says either you follow me, it's either an, uh, an invitation or it's an offer. And it's all about discipleship and it's all about following Jesus and it's nothing more broad or sophisticated or, uh, or I shouldn't, you know, it's not more broad or sophisticated than literally Jesus was going to go around Israel and people were going to follow him. Now, they were going to follow him for a purpose, but that's what was happening. They were following him. And that's why that verb is so important in this situation. The, the English language is always evolving. It's always changing. It's always transforming. And some people hate that fact. They hate the fact that certain words change meaning. And the meaning that the word had when they were younger is no longer the meaning that they have today and they rebel against the world because of that. For example, literally no longer literally means literally. You can use literally in other ways to emphasize something, but it doesn't mean something literally happened. You didn't literally die when you were so embarrassed. It didn't literally happen. We know that. We're not, you know, on a crusade to to change anything. Evidently, now, you can end sentences with prepositions. It's no big deal. It's just the way English works, and you see it even in, like, the New York Times uh, opinion section. They're just uh, uh, sentences ending with prepositions, where that used to not be a thing you were supposed to do. That was a practice up with which you shall not put. I saw um, someone... You know, and this is something I cannot bring myself to do, but I ca- still can, and I mentioned this before, I still cannot bring myself to type LOL on a text. And the reason, that and the, I don't know, I still punctuate my texts. I still, even to the degree I know what good grammar is, I still try to use good grammar in my texts. There's commas in my text. I just can't write U for Y-O, uh, Y-O-U. I can't write U, or I can't write A-R-E, and I can't just write R. I can't do it. Can't bring myself to do it. You're going to get a full text, and it might have to break it up into three or four different texts just to send it all the way through, because it's just the way I am. Can't do it. I can't write LOL. Now, the problem is, now, everybody in the room knows what LOL means in a text, right? It doesn't mean lots of love. I did the instance where a grandma or a mom sent that to a child when their grandma had died. Grandma didn't make it LOL. She meant lots of love, but that's not what it means. It means laughing out loud is what it means. I can't do it. And the reason I can't do it is because not only does I, do I not like abbreviating that way, but it's not. It, it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that people, when they type that, are not laughing out loud. And you know that, right? Some people use it as punctuation. I can't do it. But this is the way language is changing, and text is is introducing um, uh, innovations in language at a, at a rate that we can't keep up with. Because the other day I saw somebody write this out in a text: audible, lol. Now, how many of you know what's going on there? What they're saying is laughing out loud should mean audible LOL, but because nobody uses it that way, they they had to actually add the adjective audible LOL in order to let somebody know that they were actually laughing out loud. So they had to take a word that actually should mean something or a phrase that should mean something, they had to add an adjective to the phrase in order to make the phrase mean what it should have meant in the first place. I think something similar happens to a lot of words in our uh, spiritual lives. For example, I think Christian is this way. Christian has become a fairly weak adjective that we use to describe maybe a type of radio or a type of music or maybe a type of fiction. It's Christian fiction. It's Christian radio and it's become sometimes kind of a it sometimes it's even used to say it's second-rate a Christian movie it's not going to be as good as a regular movie now the problem is is when we talk about people sometimes what we're doing is we have to we have to qualify and we have to say oh well they're a strong Christian or they're a real Christian or they're a true Christian to help people know that they are actually serious about their faith because the word Christian itself has just kind of lost its meaning and that shouldn't be the way the word word Christian should just mean someone who is a follower of Christ. That's what it should mean. We shouldn't need to add strong or true, and I get what people are doing, and I get why the language has made us do that, but it should just mean the thing that it means in the first place. I think another word that's like this, the word that we want to make sure that we're all on the same page with today is the word disciple. The word disciple. I think we need to have a sense of what this word is and what it means because I think that maybe some of us have an idea that disciple somehow means like a heavy duty Christian or a Christian that's gone pro, or like the Christian version of the Navy SEALs. These are the Christians who are just, they are really extra Christians. They're not the basic Christians. They really are, they don't go the extra mile, they go two extra miles, or whatever it is. Whatever the standard is, they just raise it. Maybe these are people that are even a little, they go a little too far. They, they, we don't necessarily want to be associated with them, because they're like the over-the-top Christians. But I think we need to reclaim this word disciple because our mission as a church, as a church, this is what it all comes down to, is to develop disciples. Which means that we want every human in this room, no matter how young or how old, to be disciples of Jesus Christ. We whatever that means, whatever that idea encompasses, we want everybody to be disciples of Jesus Christ. It's an all skate. Everybody participates. There's no like sidelines. There's nobody who's like, you know, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a disciple. That's not how this works. We're all disciples. We're all following Jesus. We're all on a journey. We're all on a pathway toward him. That's what it is. So there's no extra adjectives that we need to add to disciple. There's no etch- extra adjectives that we need to dis- to add to Christian to really define what a real deep, strong, true Christian is. We are disciples, and I think that we need to reclaim what this word is and what it means and what it's all about. So, our goal over the next two weeks is, is maybe not just to reclaim this word, but to really get ourselves excited about the idea, about that this is the central focus and goal of our lives. This is our pursuit. Because I don't think that that we maybe all in the room feel that way about Christianity, and certainly about discipleship. So when you think of disciple, I want you to think of uh, three words, and we're going we're gonna to walk through these three concepts because I think that they're the, the framework upon which Jesus builds his definition of a disciple. So these three words, so when you think of disciple, I want you to think of these three words every time you think of that. And that, what the three words are, are discover, desire, and do. Discover, desire and do so every time you think of disciple and every time especially when you apply that concept to yourself this is what you're doing this is how you're defining yourself how you're presenting yourself to the people around you and how you're presenting yourself to the world discover desire and do discover and desire do so let's talk about discover first let's talk about discover Um, I have a picture here and I want to see if you can tell me who this person is anybody know Morgan Freeman, yes, Morgan Freeman. He's been in almost every movie that has ever been made. He's in a lot of movies. And uh, Driving Miss Daisy, Shawshank Redemption, Bruce Almighty, he played God in that. If you like documentaries, March of the Penguins, he was the narrator in March of the Penguins. He's got this voice, he does commercials. I mean, everybody knows who Morgan Freeman is or might know who Morgan Freeman is. Now, I, wanna, I don't really want to talk about Morgan Freeman. I want to talk about this picture, this particular picture right here. This, the, the, does anybody know uh, anything special? Can you tell anything special about this picture? It's actually uh, not a photograph. This is a painting of Morgan Freeman. Ah, that's what I thought too. Now, that's a painting of Morgan Freeman? And I'm kind of feeling like people may not believe me, so I've got video evidence, if you want to play that video uh, of this painting, produced. This is sped up as you can imagine. This actually took over 200 hours and it was done on an iPad of all things. Look at this. Look at the detail. You think wow it's kind of getting close to done but then there's more and there's more and there's more and it's at some point it goes from being this like drawing or this this work that you would describe as a drawing to something that looks completely realistic and it's just like oh that's that's Morgan Freeman. That's clearly who he is. And he's being well lit by lights around him or whatever. I mean, it's unbelievable. Now, this is a form of artwork called hyper-realism. And I don't know why you have to call it hyper-realism because it feels like realism would do. It's very <laughs> realistic. But it's called hi- hyperrealism. You can pause it if you want. You don't have to keep watching that video. In fact, yeah, there you go. Go to the next slide. This is, shows you the different stages of the picture. Hyperrealism. This picture uh, is by an artist named uh, Kyle Lambert painted on the iPad and I'm just thinking like every time I use my iPad to do something like play Angry Birds I'm like I'm way underutilizing this thing it's capable of so much more. So here's why this matters here's why I think this is really important why I wanted to show you this picture because I want you to have this uh, this image of your mind not necessarily of Morgan Freeman but this image of something that's progressing it is something more detailed and more clear and more realistic because being a disciple of Jesus is about following Jesus for the purpose of Discovering who Jesus is. That's your purpose as a disciple of Jesus Christ. You are trying to discover. It's this constant discovery process. Now, it starts, and a lot of us can probably relate to this, because it starts as this really blocky, broad strokes. I have this image of who he is and what he would do and the way he would live in the world. We have this image, and what we don't realize at the beginning when it's this, this go back if you would, this real blocky version of Morgan Freeman, what we don't have in our minds is that this is, this is our image of Jesus when we start, so to speak. Real broad, blocky brush strokes, you know, real basic. And we don't realize that we've got that sort of image of Jesus. We don't, you we cannot realize it until we grow more in Christ, and that image begins to take on more shape and more definition, and more and more and more and more and more. The problem is sometimes when we're back here, we're like, I got Jesus figured out. I know who he is, I know what he looks like, I totally have it all figured out. And there's people who have been Christians for four. 40, 50, 60 years for like, you have no idea you have no idea the way that God will reveal Jesus to you throughout your life you have no clue how you are going to grow you have this very basic idea of Jesus and maybe you're basing your choices and your life on that but there's so much more there's so much more In the first century, they refined their idea of Jesus by literally following him around. And you can imagine they got a little notebook and they just watched everything that he did. It would be similar to if you were in college and you had a professor that you really appreciated. You liked the way that that person thought and you think, I want to know more about who they are and how they live. And so not only do you sit in class and listen to that person lecture, you certainly did that if you were following Jesus around. You listened to him talk and lecture and teach. But then you watched him do everything that they did. Then you would leave the, the professor, you would leave the lecture hall, and you would follow them to where they ate lunch. And you would understand, oh, they're eating lunch at this place. And why are they eating lunch at this place? And what do they order? And how do they treat the server? And how do they, how do they get to the place where they're going to eat lunch? Do Do they take a bike do they take the light rail do they take an uber and why do they do that you want to know every detail of what goes into the decision-making process of this person that you respect and how do they tip for example tipping reveals a lot about a human being doesn't it and what they value have you ever noticed this Some people are like, you know, I was a server in college, and I know it's hard work, and they've been on their feet for 12 hours, and it's just tough, and if they get my order a little wrong, it doesn't matter, I'm going to cut them slack 20%. Some of you are like, unless they memorize my birthday and the middle names of my children, and unless they anticipate my order before I even know what I want, they're not getting anywhere above 10%. It's just, it reveals what we value. And so, the people following Jesus around, they would want to know literally everything he did, and the purpose was they wanted to know how he interacted with everybody because they wanted to know what drove him, why he did the things he did, so that they could take those ideas and then they could apply them in different scenarios in their own lives. You are following Jesus for the purpose of refining your image of him. And a lot of us, honestly, a lot of us have a pretty basic image of Jesus and we just haven't gotten any more deeply invested in that and we think we got it figured out and Jesus thinks there's so much more that you need to know about me and who I am and what I'm all about so you know we don't get to follow Jesus around I know we know that we don't get to just well I wish we did wouldn't that be awesome but we don't get to follow him around so our image of Jesus gets refined in a number of different ways Maybe you read through the Gospel of John for the 975th time. And this time, something jumps out at you because of your experiences in life or because of who you are, because of something somebody said that was just different. And it refines your image of Jesus. And it didn't happen on the 956th time. It took 957 times reading through the Gospel of Luke to get that image of Jesus refined. It's a process. Maybe you see another Christian, another disciple, handle a difficult situation with such grace, with such uh, uh, mercy, that you're like, that is exactly, I, I can tell that's what Jesus would have done. That's amazing. And you begin to get a refined image of Jesus through another disciple. Maybe you go through something so difficult or life-altering that it just it leaves you clinging to Christ and you begin to refine your idea of who he is because of the circumstances of your life. There's just many different ways. But all those things conspire to constantly sharpen this image of Jesus. And I'm afraid too many of us Christians have kind of just like, I got it, I got the basic sketch, that's all I need. I'm going to go out and live my life. And Jesus says there's so much more. Being a dis- disciple is about discovering who he is, and it's a constant process that will take our entire lives and more. Secondly, secondly, the second part of what a disciple is, is this desire. Because knowing, we all know this, knowing is not the same thing as doing, right? That's why we eat donuts. Knowing is not the same thing as doing. And, and this is really important. Doing is not the same thing as wanting to do. Knowing is not the same thing as doing, because we still do stuff even when we know we shouldn't do it. But doing is not the same thing as wanting to do. Because, and this is important, discipleship isn't simply about behavior modification. It's about desire modification. It's not simply about behavior modification. Behavior modification is that basic simple sketch of Jesus. Discipleship is about desire modification. Jesus doesn't want to change just what you do. He wants to change what you want to do. Well, that gets really deep. I don't know if I want him to dig around in my desires and my heart. Well, that's what being a disciple is all about. Every relationship runs into this dilemma at some point. Um, you You want someone to want something that they don't want. Every parent has experienced this. I don't want you to just obey me. I want you to want to obey me. Every marriage has experienced this at some point. I don't want you to just unload the dishwasher, I want you to want to unload the dishwasher. What difference does it make as long as the dishwasher gets unloaded? It makes a great deal of difference I have discovered in my life. Wanting to want what is important. Jesus wasn't really just, he wasn't just about giving us rules with which we comply. He was reshaping the entire landscape of human thought and experience and desire. He was reshaping everything. We talk about worldview, but he was literally turning a human worldview Upside down, and it was changing absolutely everything. Luke chapter 9, he said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. That seems like a noble request. That seems like something I should be able to do. And Jesus said to him, Nope, that's not the way this works. If you want to follow me, this has to be the most important thing in your life. The dead can bury their own dead. I don't know if I'm ready for that level of commitment, Jesus. He doesn't want to just, he wasn't just talking about their, their behaviors. Jesus was getting at their desires. Jesus was getting at their desires. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Super fascinating. Can I take like a 10 second pause? Go back and read the story of Elijah calling Elisha. This is what Jesus is talking about here. He's referencing that Old Testament story, and we as a 21st century audience don't realize it because we're not steeped in the Bible the way that he was, but he's referencing the story of Elijah calling Elisha, this exact scenario. And everybody in his audience totally would have known what he was talking about. It kind of goes over our heads. Super interesting Bible nerd moment of the day, and I, I'd love for you to, to, to read that. It's, it's amazing. But Jesus is not questioning these people's behavior. It's not about their behavior. It's about their desire. What do they really want? I, Jesus, I don't want people just following me. I want people who want to follow me I don't want people just following after me, but I want them to want to follow after me. So if following after me is not more important than burying your father or saying goodbye to your family, then I'm not interested because it is about your desires everything's being remade Jesus is changing everything he's changing our assumptions about what matters in life he's changing our assumptions about what brings us joy he's changing our assumptions about what causes sorrow our basic relationship with 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 stuff and money and sexuality the basic way we react and regard other human beings it's all being transformed it's all being transformed it's all being remade unless we're in it then it's not really going to make a difference um, Dallas Willard was an author who wrote all about discipleship. Incredible stuff. But he has this quote that I think is so valuable. And he's, he's referencing the Sermon on the Mount with this quote. But he goes, these are not just passages, the Sermon on the Mount. Love your n- n- enemies, that sort of thing. These are not just passages stating required behaviors as laws might do. These are not a new and sterner legalism. Rather, they are indications of what life becomes for those who are devoted disciples of Christ. All of us being remade. So it's not simply that God wants us to be generous just to be generous. He wants us to want to be generous. And God has taken on the burden of responsibility of transforming our hearts. But we've got to open that part of our lives up to him as well. So we discover Jesus to refine our image of him to, so God will transform our desires. Finally, number three, discover, desire, and do. Discover, desire, and do. I uh, I love hiking and it sounds like it sounds like such an, uh, I don't know, an adult thing to do in, in the sense that, you know, I, I don't know if teens are just like, I'm going to go hiking today, Dad, Mom. It just feels like something you do once you hit like 30, then you can go hiking and it's just normal. But I love doing it. I love exploring. I love finding new things. There's just tons of hidden spots around the cities, all these cool places. I don't know if you know what a cool place that we live in, but it is very, it is very cool compared to a lot of parts of the country. A little plug for Minnesota, but one of the things that I inevitably run into uh, when I'm out hiking, especially when you're kind of discovering a little, you know, uh, off the beaten trail, you know, kind of path, is you end up discovering these little piles of like trash and garbage. Um, And what happens is, is that somebody doesn't want to pay the 40 bucks that it takes to get rid of their mattress. And so they're like, hmm, nobody's going to look in the woods. And they're driving by with their pickup truck and they chuck the mattress off into the woods. And then when somebody sees that mattress, they're like, oh, I have that carpet remnant in my basement. I need to get rid of that. They chuck it where the mattress was because this garbage attracts more garbage. And then somebody else is walking by and they're like, my McDonald's, you know, whatever. And then their bottles and Coke bottles and just, it just, it collects, it collects, it collects. Because garbage... Attracts garbage. Parents, that's a helpful tip for parenting your teenagers. Garbage attracts garbage, by the way. Garbage attracts garbage. Ugly attracts ugly. And eventually, what happens, unless somebody puts a stop to it, it, it looks It looks like this. Uh, this picture is uh, Versova Beach. This is in India, but it's a beach where it all started with one person saying, here's my candy wrapper, and then somebody else not caring, and then realizing that this was a place where we're just going to dump our trash. And so there's just these, it's a, it's a beach, and it's just covered in trash, covered, completely covered in trash. This next picture is a couple guys walking, this is a walk along the beach, you know, the, the trash-covered beach. Garbage attracts garbage. And this is, this is so important because this is a human phenomenon, that, that, that garbage attracts garbage, or that ugly attracts ugly. Because what happens is, in our lives, this is the very same phenomenon. Someone has has been hurt, or abused, or mistreated, or maybe they're just confused, and that hurt creates brokenness in a human life. It creates brokenness. And whether it's someone else identifying that brokenness and thinking well I can just pile some garbage on that human because there's already garbage there and I don't need to regard them and I can use them for my own benefit or whether it's that person themselves feeling like they're not worthy they're not valuable and yes just go ahead and treat me that way whatever it is is that garbage in a person's life attracts more and more garbage that brokenness that ugliness whatever it is and it just it builds and builds and builds maybe they feel like I've already messed up I've already sinned what's more sin, and so it just builds an anger and hate and revenge or whatever it is, brokenness, whatever it is, it builds and it builds and it builds. And it's so easy just to add to the mess. Well, what's one more little sin going to be? The beach is already covered in garbage. What's one more little problem? What's one more little McDonald's wrapper? I've already messed up so badly, then who cares about a little bit more? And you see that how this piles up. And sin piles up, and hurt piles up, and brokenness piles up, and so we are human beings walking around like that with this garbage. And maybe we don't look as bad as Versova Beach in India, but maybe we're, you know, we've got a mattress and some McDonald's wrappers in our in our lives that we just. and, And what's a little bit more? What's another problem? What's another sin? What's another? What's losing my temper? What's not being generous? What's not being? What's being selfish? Who cares? It's not a big deal. It's just. It's already a mess anyway. Why, why not be greedy? Why not gossip? We're just adding to the mess. As disciples, we aren't just discovering who Jesus is. We aren't just desiring to be like him. The ultimate point is that we are doing, we are continuing to do what Jesus did in the world. And this is the point, and this is so important, and this resonates with me. We are taking out that and getting rid of that garbage and we are introducing beauty. We are taking out that brokenness and we are introducing forgiveness. That's what Jesus was doing in the world. Did you, did you know that? He was taking out pain and hurt and he was introducing health and wholeness. Jesus was taking out anger and hate and he was introducing mercy Jesus was taking that garbage out of circulation, sometimes by absorbing it himself and introducing something so much better and something so much more beautiful. Versova Beach in India is a garbage pile. Who cares? Throw another wrapper on the pile. It doesn't matter. Unless one person says, you know what? What if, what if we took, instead of throwing that McDonald's wrapper on the beach, we threw it away, and what if I pick something up, and it's not mine, it's not my responsibility, but I pick somebody else's garbage up, and I throw it away, and somebody else's garbage. This is Versova Beach uh, just recently, in the last couple of years. Let me show you this picture. Go back to the last picture. Go to the next picture. It's, it's the human life. This sin in our lives, it's not just like, oh, God really doesn't want you to look at bad stuff on the internet. He's saying you're a broken person. And that brokenness introduces and attracts more brokenness into the world. And what it's time to do is to clean that up and to take out that brokenness and introduce wholeness. To take out that sin and introduce life. That's what he's saying. That's what discipleship is, is this process of we're doing this for ourselves as we become more like Christ, but we are doing this for other people. And so this is so important, church. When Jesus talked about loving your enemies, he wasn't saying love your enemies in spite of the fact that they hate you. He was saying love your enemies because they hate you. Because what you're doing by loving your enemies is you're taking that garbage out of the world and you're cleaning up the beach. You're absorbing that injustice. You're absorbing that hurt and brokenness and you're cleaning things up through the power of God who works in you. You're changing things. This is so important. He wasn't saying be generous to people who don't deserve it in spite of the fact that they don't deserve it. He was saying be generous to people who don't deserve it because they don't deserve it. And you take out that ugliness. And you know what it takes for you and I to take out that ugliness? It takes us suffering injustice. It takes people mistreating us so we can clean up the beach. It takes people hurting us and us not retaliating with anger and hate and revenge. It takes us absorbing things that we don't want to absorb. That weren't our problem. That weren't our fault. We didn't cause that. But it takes us taking those out of circulation and introducing something better. That's what Jesus was doing in the world. That's what Jesus was doing in the world. There is hope. Discipleship is continuing to do the reclamation project that Jesus was doing in the world. That's what discipleship is. It's not this mental exercise where we're just wandering around doing good things because, I don't know, maybe somehow it gets me, you know, points in heaven somehow. We're doing good things because we're continuing to do the work that Jesus was doing in the world. And through that, we're taking a little piece of trash off the beach. Is our little piece of trash going to make much difference? Eventually, it absolutely certainly will. Will. Is us just not ignoring that and letting that go and adding to the pile of hate and hurt and brokenness going to make a difference? Absolutely, it certainly will. I know it feels like a small thing, but it makes such a difference. We're doing what Jesus was doing in the world. Discipleship is not just about making you a nicer person hopefully you will be a nicer person. It's so much more than that. So some of you may be thinking, maybe, I don't know, uh, you may be thinking, well, how do I know if I'm on the right track? How do I know if I'm on the right path? How do I know if I'm doing the right thing? How do I know if I'm, you know, taking this hurt out of the world and introducing wholeness? How do I know? I'm glad you asked. We're going to talk about that next week, and so I need you to come back so we continue this process of what it truly means to be a disciple and why that is our highest calling in life. Above everything else, above being a parent, above a career, above anything else is this calling to be a disciple. Let's pray.